Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are It's always nice to visit New Life. And um, I love to see the excitement. You know, every church is different, right? You know? And uh, there's something special about new life, obviously. So, before I get into the preaching, I just want to thank Pastor Rigo. I want to thank you all for allowing me to come this morning and to share the Word of God. And uh, this is a message I shared at our church a few weeks ago, and I wanted to share it with you guys. And before I actually go into the message, I want to start off with an introduction, a story that I found that I believe goes in line with what the message is, is about. And this story is, is written by a Danish theologian and a philosopher that's called, whose name is Soren Kegard. And the story is entitled, The Wild Duck of Denmark. And it goes like this. A wild duck was flying northward with his mates across Europe during the springtime. En route, he happened to land in a barnyard in Denmark where he quickly made friends with the tame ducks that lived there. The wild duck enjoyed the corn and the fresh water. He decided to stay for an hour and then for a day and then for a week and finally for a month. At the end of that time, he contemplated flying to join his friends in the vast Northland. But he had begun to enjoy the safety of the barnyard and the tame ducks had made him feel so welcome, he stayed for the summer. One autumn day when his wild mates were flying south, he heard their quacking. It stirred in him with delight and he enthusiastically flapped his wings and rose into the air to join them. Much to his dismay, he found that he could rise no higher than the barnyard. As he waddled back to the safety of the barnyard, he muttered to himself, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied here. I have plenty of food and the area is good. Why should I leave? So he spent the winter on the farm. In the spring, when the wild ducks flew overhead again, he felt a strange stirring within. But he didn't even try to fly up this time. When they returned in the fall, they again invited him to rejoin them. But this time, the duck didn't even notice them. There was no stirring within. He simply kept on eating corn, which made him fat. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you again, Lord, for this time. Father God, I come before you now, Lord, asking that you would move. Lord, that you would speak through me, Lord. Lord, I relinquish all my emotions, all my thoughts, Father God, and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak, that you would move in this place. I pray, Father God, that your people right now, Lord, would be attentive to this word, Lord, that they would accept it, that you would change their lives and their hearts, Lord, as you did mine. Again, we thank you for this time, and we ask that you move in a special way. In your name we pray. Amen.
So if you have your Bible this morning, I, I want you to turn there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I believe the scripture will come behind me. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 4, 1 through 10. And if you have your Bible there, it should be entitled, Living to Please God. And Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church, and he starts off by saying in verse 4, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this manner no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a life, a holy life. Therefore, if anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. So what is Paul saying in these verses? Well, for starters, he's telling the church, you're doing a good job, right? He's saying, listen, you're loving one another. That they're living a life that pleases God. That they're loving their brothers and sisters in Macedonia. But he's also informing them that it's not enough. It's not enough with what they're doing. He's telling them that they need to please God more and more. They need to love people more and more. The church has many comfortable Christians. And maybe uh, we get to a point in this Christian walk, whether you're a new believer or, or a believer that's been with the Lord many years, and we get comfortable. And we believe that by coming to church and sitting on a seat or maybe helping out in the hype center or wearing a lanyard or helping out with the security or parking or, or loving one another, that we're doing enough. And what Paul is saying is to the church, and what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that, listen, God is happy that you're doing all those things. But the fact is, is that God expects for you to do more and more. The fact is that we get comfortable by believing that by us doing these certain things, that I'm doing everything I need to do, right? But the fact is, is that we need to strive for more. We need to continue to progress in this walk. You see, Paul wants him to know, and he wants us to know, that the job of being a Christian is never done. That their growing is never to stop. That there's always more to do. In essence, you will never arrive. I don't know about you, but when I went to school and I uh, was finally finishing up my college degree, all I wanted to receive was that paper. I didn't care about anything else. I didn't care how much debt I was in. I just wanted to receive this paper that everybody in the world said I needed to have in order to get a good job, right? 
And then once I got that paper and I started looking for my first job, I expected a certain amount of pay, right? I had said to myself, you know what? I have this paper. Now I'm going to go make some good money because I got the paper. But reality is not such like, it's not like that. Obviously, I had a wake-up call and I said, even though you have this paper, you still have to, um, the employer would say, you know what? I understand you have the paper, but you need to show me who you are and how much experience you have. And in life, in the workplace, I don't know about you, I'm talking about my, me personally, in my career, I always felt that if I make a certain amount of money, or if I have this title, or if I finally get married, or if I have kids, or I finally own a house, I've made it, right? Because that's what society tells us. Society says if you're not, if you don't make a certain amount of money, or if you don't drive such a car, or if you're not married, or if you don't have kids, or if you don't own your own house, you're nothing. In essence, you haven't made it. And some people may believe that in the Christian life, you need to be a person who is a deacon or a leader or, or, or a, a minister of a Bible study for you to believe that you have made it into this life called Christianity. And my personal experience, I, there was a moment where I said to myself, I've made it. I'm making a lot of money. I got the title that I always wanted. I have a house. I'm married. I have three beautiful kids. I've made it. There's nothing more that I need to achieve. And as I was preparing for this message for our church, the Lord spoke to me very clearly because the fact is, is that I haven't made nothing. Even in this Christian walk, as being an associate pastor and, and doing Bible studies and, and, and ministering to people, I haven't made it. I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. The fact is, is that the minute that I have made it is the day that I'm dead. The day that you have made it in this Christian walk is the day that God's going to take you home because he has no more need for you. So that's what Paul was telling you, and that's what I want to communicate to you this morning, is that continue to do what you're doing. God is happy with it. Keep on loving your brothers and sisters in church. Keep, keep on getting involved. But once you get involved, don't stop there. Continue to get involved. Continue to press forward. And that's why the message is entitled, Going to the Deep End. A lot of people talk about this walk of Christianity as, as a race, right? I, on the other hand, think of it as, as a pool, a gigantic pool, a pool that starts off on the shallow end and just continues to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And this morning, what Paul is trying to communicate to the church of, the, of Thessalonia, is that we as Christians must strive to go to the deep end, to leave behind the shallow, the comfortable, the safe waters of Christianity. Why do they need to do more? Why is it that we're not doing enough? Why shouldn't we want to swim to the deep end? Why shouldn't we settle for a life of eating corn in the barnyard? Hopefully this morning I'll be able to answer those questions. But let me suggest just a few. Number one, 
because we are to live a life that pleases God. Paul writes in verse 4, as we just read, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and we urge in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. This is a common theme in Paul's writings. We need to live a life that pleases God. And I want to share just three examples. Ephesians 4.1 says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Philippians 1.27, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Colossians 1.10, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. And understand there will always be more that we can do in and with our lives to please God. So how can we please God? Right? How can we please God? I think 1 Colossians 1.10 says it perfect. We can see two things that can illustrate how we can please God. Number one, bearing fruit. And number two, growing in the knowledge of God. You may be saying to yourself, how do I swim deeper? How do I get deeper into the Lord? Hey, listen, number one, bear fruit. Number two, know God. How do you bear fruit? By knowing God. How do you know God? Praying and reading his word. This morning, I know this is not going to be a preaching of a lot of amens or a lot of hype. My purpose this morning is for you to look inside of yourself. Listen, Pastor Rigo, your church, you guys are doing a fantastic job with this new vision, mission. And in order for it to succeed, in order for new life to continue to strive to do great things in the Lord, the people must swim deeper and deeper. Listen, there's a lot of people leaving churches, going to churches that, that are growing, that are in a state of revival. And God bless them for that. But I'm a believer that revival starts in the church. And it starts with the people in the church. It's a people, it's a body of Christ that strives to seek the Lord. And how do they do that? By growing deeper and deeper. We have a lot of churches who have people that are comfortable in the state that they are. They say to themselves, hey, listen, I love my brothers and sisters. I don't need to do anything else. Or you know what? I'm working in the church and I'm doing this function or I'm doing that function. I don't need to do anything else. And what happens is the church is unable to grow because the people of the church don't want to grow. We are to live our lives to please God. We are to walk in a way that is worthy of him, that brings him glory. And understand there will always be more that we can do in and with our lives to please God. It pleases God when we grow in our knowledge of him, when we know more of his word. Now, why do we want to please God? Because we love him, right? I don't know about you, but if you are a Christian this morning, you know that God died for you, right? We forget that sometimes. I forget that sometimes. We live in a society that strives. It strives to remove our focus from the true focus, which is Christ. 
And we need to remind ourselves that we're not here to please our employer, but our Savior. We're not here to please our wife or our spouse or our children, but our Creator. Another reason for going deeper is because we are called to be holy. We are called to be, a di- we are called to be different than the world. Paul says in verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And down in verse 7, it said, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. To be sanctified means to be Christ-like. When we came to Christ, we were justified, and our justification happens immediately. We were declared not guilty when we were baptized into Christ. Our sanctification is another matter. Our sanctification is a process, a process by which we become more like Christ. You and I have been called to a different standard, church. We have been called to travel a higher road, to march to a a different drum, to step out of the world. We are to be holy because God is holy. We are to be pure because God is pure. I like polls. I'm one of those guys that just likes to read, and and I think polls sometimes are a good gauge of, of what the world is doing. And, and as I was preparing this message, I found this poll. I don't know if it's real. I don't know how many people they surveyed, but this is what it said. A recent Gallup poll surveyed evangelical Christians, and the poll found that an estimated 80% of all evangelicals said that their Christianity does not affect the way they live their life. It means it doesn't affect the way they live, how they talk, the places they go, who they hang out with, and what they do. If this poll is accurate, we should not be surprised as to why the church is not doing what it's supposed to do. Because the people of the church are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. We all know the importance of drinking water, and as I was preparing the message, I, I like to give examples as best as I can, and I couldn't find anything else, so I made this up, so I hope it makes sense to you. You let me know after the service, all right? We all know the importance of drinking water. Every city in the U.S. has what's called a water facility, whose only responsibility is to ensure that the water we receive at home, the water that we drink, has no dangers of impurities. Why? Well, if, if they fail to remove these dangerous impurities from the water and we ingest them, what happens? We can get sick, right? And not only can we get sick, but sometimes if it's really bad, we can even die. So if the government, if every city in the United States and every human being understands the need for purity and the dangers of contamination... And if these water facilities, with that understanding, take such drastic measures to ensure the water's purity, how much more does the temple of God? 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. If we're ever going to be holy, if we're ever going to step out of this world, 
we must control our lust further. You see, all sin is a result of lust. The word of God teaches us in 1 John 2, 15 and 17. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes from the Father, but from the world. The world and his desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I don't know about you, but every time I heard the word of lust, I always gravitated to sexual lust, right? And the fact is, is that lust takes many forms. All sin is either the result of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust for pride, praise, accomplishment, title, position. The list goes on. It's lust. It's that desire to have that which is not important. That is outside of God's divine call. Excuse me. We need to control our lusts more. Why? Verse 4 says, each of us needs to learn to control our body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the heathens who do not know God. You see, in this time, in the scripture, as Paul was writing, it was in Macedonia, and it was a specific time. And during this time, Paul was writing this because there was a lot of sexual immorality in this, during this time. People were sexually deranged, deranged. Sexual immorality was not looked upon and was accepted as the norm. Similar to today's society, right? The moral climate in the Roman Empire was not healthy. Immorality was a way of life. And the Christian message of holy living was new to that culture. And it was not easy for these young believers to fight off the temptations that were all around them. And in many ways, we see much of the same thing happening in our culture today, right? If you just think about it, every TV program revolves around pride, lust, sex, drugs, stabbing everybody in the back. We know that God has called us to be holy. And we also know that Paul writes in the second part of verse 6 that the Lord will punish men. For all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call you to be impure, but to live a life that is holy. We need to control our lusts more. The lust of the flesh, be they sexual lust, lust for food, lust for laziness, lust for the things of the world, fame, money, power, praise, or position. Knowing God should make a visible difference in the way we live. I want to say that one more time. Knowing God should make a visible difference in the way that we live our lives. So this morning, as I continue, I just want to make a quick disclaimer as I did in our church. I'm going to show a picture, okay? And I found this picture, and the reason I'm using this picture is because I think it communicates what I'm trying to communicate. I'm not here to use that picture to offend anybody. I don't take the disease lightly. It's real. And... Um, if you get offended, and I don't want you to, see me after church, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to just to make something very clear, okay?
So I heard about a guy on the beach who weighed over 300 pounds and he was wearing this shirt. I conquered anorexia. It's a big guy, right? But the fact is, is that whether that guy did have a battle with anorexia or he didn't, him wearing that shirt and being overweight, anybody who sees him can deny that he be anorexia, right? There's no denying. That is so evident that nobody could tell that guy, you're lying. Right? You see, people ought to see us in such a way that they can't deny that the Lord has been working in our lives. When they see a loving marriage, disciplined children, honesty on the job, a great attitude at school, a joyful spirit, kindness to others, they ought to say, it is true. Jesus Christ is alive in them. We need to be a living testimony. That's it. When somebody sees you, they should be able to say, something's different about this person. It's not pretend. It ain't fake. It ain't just on Sundays. The fact is, is that if we do not progress in this Christian walk, if we don't swim deeper, we allow the possibility to regress. And that's point three. If we, because if we don't, the world can, put us, can pull us back. Look around. You may be visiting here for the first time and you probably don't know. But if you've been here at New Life for many years, you can look around and say, there's some people missing. At least at the way, there's many people that have left the way. They leave because of good purposes, right? They moved. God called them somewhere else. But the fact is that I know people who used to preach and teach, who used to say, no, Jesus reigns in my life, who used to give Bible studies and give words. And the fact is, is that it was all a show. They weren't progressing forward. And what happened? The world called them back. The thing is, is that we as Christians have this idea that it ain't going to happen to me. And the fact is, is that nobody is exempt. Not Pastor Rigo, not myself, no matter if you've been with the Lord 20 years, one week, 10 months, it don't matter. No one is exempt. You know, I think of it sometimes as, if anybody has ever seen the movie Matrix, the precept of the movie was that the world that Neo was living in was supposedly real, right? But the fact is that once he found the truth and once he was disconnected from this so-called real world, was he able to see that the real world was not so real? And we as Christians have been disconnected from that world, right? And the fact is, is that if we do not progress forward in God's truth, in God's word, word, that world will bring you back and try to reconnect you from where you came from. The fact is, is that miracles don't come in the shallow waters. 
The miracles come in the deep waters. If you have the picture of the pool with everybody in the pool, I just want to share something real fast. You see, in that pool, in that picture, and I shared a different picture at our church, which is a little bit better, but you can see people standing up. You can see some people submerged like their head. You can see some people with floaties, right? And that's how this Christian walk is. You got Christians with floaties. You got Christians that don't want to step out of the shallow area. You got Christians who are in the deep area. You know, nowadays, I don't have a pool in my house, which my kids would love to have, but all these new pools, if you've seen them, they start out with like a little flat area, right? And they go deeper. And in that flat area, they have like a little hole where you can put like an umbrella, right? And we have, the fact is that we have a lot of Christians that put their umbrella and they just stay in the shallow area. And they're looking at the people in the deep area. And they say to themselves, man, why is God using those people? Why is it that they're so blessed, but you're just relaxing in the shallow area under that umbrella? The fact is, is that this walk is meant for you to progress forward. It is meant for you to swim out of the shallow area into the deep end. And we have Christians that stay in the shallow area because they feel safe. Because when it, this Christian walk gets too tough, all I got to do is step out of the pool. Or we have Christians that will stay in the shallow area and they, they know that they can reach the side of the pool. But the fact is, is that when we go to the deep end, yeah, listen, it's scary. Our feet don't touch. We can't reach the side of the pool. But the fact is, is that our eyes no longer see the shallow, the steps, the side of the pool, but our eyes, as we go deeper and deeper, focus on the Lord as our source of help. The culture that the Thessalonians Christians were living in, as we said before, was not a godly one. And Paul knew that if they didn't keep moving, if they stopped growing, if they stayed too long in the barnyard eating corn, they might get used to it and decide to stay. Do you know a Christian who has come to church? God blessed them. God was using them. They left the church. Now they're in the world. And you'll, you'll come to them and say, listen, God's blessing me. God is doing this. God saved my life. God saved my family. And to them... It's like you're not even talking anymore. It's like that duck. We as Christians cannot give one inch back to the world. You cannot tell yourself, I'm going to go do that. I'm okay. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm good. I'm with the Lord. The Lord's blessed me. God spoke to me. God's called me out. They ain't going to happen to me. I know God's word. God's protected me. And then you take that step into the world. And what happens? Listen. I want to remind you, as I reminded myself, we are nobodies. The only reason that we have power is because Christ in us. We are not strong by ourselves. How many times have we said, I ain't going to do this anymore, and we try to do it in our own power, and what happens? We find ourselves saying, Lord, forgive me, I did it again. Yet, we have amnesia, right? 
Listen, we are to strive to go deeper and deeper and deeper. We cannot allow ourselves for one moment to step back into this world because I'm telling you, and people outside in the world will tell you, don't do it. Because the odds are not in your favor. Paul knew that a Christian must keep moving forward or else they will end up going backwards. He knew that if a Christian did not move forward, that they would be influenced by the world's value system. You don't think it's true? How many Christians do you, do you know today? So-called Christians who supposedly are to know the word of God. Will say, you know what, premarital sex, it's okay. God still loves you. Do it, it's fine. Or the homosexuality is acceptable. Or that abortion is acceptable. Anybody know those Christians? I know them. Those are Christians that don't know the word of God. Those are Christians who have one step in the world and one step in the church. To live in this world and not have its values affect us takes deliberate effort. Listen, it is a daily battle. The fact is that we don't work in a church. Most of us don't work in a church. We're not, we're not protected by these four walls, right? Most of us have normal jobs where we have to go out into the world and work, whatever that job is, right? And every day for eight hours or nine hours, we have to hear people's problems, cursing, how much sex they're having, how, what drugs they're doing, right? Yes? And we as Christians are what to be holy, set apart. But the fact is, is that, we're in that we're in that mess all day. And if we're not swimming deeper with the Lord, what's going to happen? You're going to get caught up in a conversation and you're going to say something that you shouldn't be saying. And you're going to lose your testimony. To live in this world, I'm sorry, it is hard to stay clean while living in a garbage dump. See, the world is a garbage dump, like the Matrix, right? The minute he was unplugged, he saw that that place was a dump. And the thing is that once we step out these doors, we look at them, bro, Miami's awesome. Miami's beautiful. Its people are beautiful. But the fact is that it's a dump. We need to stop looking at the world with our fleshy eyes, but with God's eyes. As a place of hopelessness. A place where we need to strive to save others and to be a living testimony a visible testimony ask yourself this morning in the midst of your workplace in the midst of your family in the midst of your friends are you a visible testimony can people see you and say you know what that person's a christian that person's different i know many christians that in the workplace they'll be working there for many years and they'll just say something about God, and they'll be like, you're a Christian? Are you telling me you've been working here for X amount of years, and, and you're a Christian? I didn't know anything. The fact is, is from day one, people should know that you're different. Paul was excited about the faith of these new Christians, but he also knew that a good start does not make up for a lousy finish. He knew a lot of people who had started the race but did not finish strong. And Jesus gave a warning about this in the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, verse 22. 
The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. The fact is, is that Jesus is our worth doing more. Jesus is worth you going deeper. Think about it. How hopeless you were. The shackles of sin that once bound you. The debt that you could not pay that he paid. The load you that you could not carry that he has carried. The beatings, the scourging, the spear, the thorns, the nails, the pain and the suffering of Jesus. The home that he's preparing for you and about the spirit that he has given you. When we think about these things, we will realize that Jesus is worth more. He is worth our going to the deep end. He is worth our doing more and going further. Even after we've done all we can do, even if you tell yourself this morning, there's nothing else that I can possibly do, I'm telling you, Jesus is still more, worth more. Listen, my life is crazy, and I can imagine your life is crazy. But the fact is that God wants us to do more. The fact that you are still alive and here at this service is because God wants you to do more. That's it. You may find yourself saying, what can I do more? Listen, get plugged in. Evangelize. Most importantly, see God's word more. I can tell you right now that most of us, 99% of us, don't read as much as the word of God that we should, right? No hands. But let's be real, right? That's, uh, the fact is, is that we come to church and we pretend like we're all good and holy. The fact is that we all are striving to be more Christ-like. We all battle with things. We all fall short of things. And we are here to lift up one another. And we are here to push one another. We are here to keep each other accountable. When we think about what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do for us, we realize that the only place we belong is in the deep end. The deep end has no limits. It has no depths. It has no bounds. Listen, you're comfortable in the shallow end? God bless you. All I can tell you is that God ain't going to use you. God, the reason that the sh there is such thing as a shallow end, it is for the new believer. It's for the person who accepts the Lord and has no idea what has happened, but that they have been changed. They have no idea, but that God has called them and saved them. That's all they know. So that's why there is a shallow end. That's why there's a shallow end with floaties. So that in the midst of the shallow end, they can start reading the word of God. They can start coming to church. They can start fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in Christ so that their faith will grow. And as, as their faith grows, the shallow end becomes the deep end. But we have a lot of Christians who just stay in the shallow end and expect all these things from the Lord. But I'm here to tell you, those things that you seek after, those miracles that you so desperately claim for, they're found in the deep end. In the deep end. You know, 
I, I couldn't help but think, but in the ocean, you know, I was watching this movie, The Deep Water Horizon, and I, in the midst of the movie, obviously the, the oil rig was on fire, and there was fire all over. And as the people were getting off, spoiler alert, as, as they were getting off the rig, they had these uh, lifeboats, right? Like the ones you find in the cruise. And everybody piled on to them, and they got lowered, and they got safely to the other ship that was waiting for them. But after those lifeboats, they only had these inflatable rafts left for the rest of the people. It's the ones that you open up, and they become into this big circle life raft. And it dropped down, and they got safely to the boat. But what happened was, as there were still some people left on the oil rig, but there was no lifeboats, and there was no rafts. And they had to jump into that water. And at that very moment, as crazy as I am about this preaching, I found myself saying, in the middle of the ocean, where there is nothing to keep you afloat, all we can do is float. All we can do is float. And I found myself thinking about the preaching and how we're supposed to be going to the deep end, right? And as we go to the deep end, there is no stairs, there is no side, there is no floaties. It's just us in the water. And all we can do in the midst of trouble, battling with the, uh, battling with the, with the world and, and then with the enemy, is all we can do is float, right? And all, when we float, what happens? We just look up. And that's what our walk is about. As we swim, right, there will be times when we swim to the deep end, right? We're on fire. We're reading the word of God. God is using us. And then what happens? Oh, I got a cramp, right? We'll get that cramp. We'll get that cramp. We'll go, when we get blind, anybody who has ever gotten a cramp knows that there is no pre-warning. It just happens, right? We all have that image of ourselves in bed or something. Oh, you know, okay? That's what happens, as we swim deeper and deeper, we'll get that calambre, that, that, that. And in that moment, we can either continue trying to swim harder and harder, noting that there's something wrong, and choose to float and focus our attention on the Lord, or what happens? We'll just drown. Anybody ever happen that? Again, I'm using a lot of physical things, but I'm talking about the spiritual here. So I hope you can follow. Mark 8, 35, and I'm almost close to closing. Mark 8, 35 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You know, I, I remember teaching my kids. I have three kids. They're 10, 8, and 7. And here in Miami, there's a pool and we have beaches. So obviously we need to teach our kids how to swim, Right? So if you haven't done so, I encourage you to teach your kids how to swim. And as they were learning how to swim, you know, getting them to the deep end, it was a challenge. It was a challenge for them. It was scary. It was something scary, not only for them, but for me, right? They would always stay close to the stairs and hold on to the side of the pool and use some type of floating device, which obviously was good for them because they felt secure, and it was Fine for me because I felt safe. But as they began to learn how to swim, 
as they became more confident in the skills that they had learned, the deep end became nothing different but where they wanted to be all the time. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. My kids love to jump into the deep end. They don't jump in the shallow end, right? They jump into the deep end. And when I've asked them, listen, why is it that you guys love to be in the deep end? Why can't, even now, 10, 8, and 7, you know, as a parent, I'm still like, hey, listen, relax. I ask them, why is it that you guys don't like the shallow end? Your feet can touch. You got easy access out. Why do you like to stay in the deep end? You know what they tell me? That's where the fun is. That's where the fun is. And the fact is, is in this Christian walk, that's where the fun is. That's where God is able to move and do things in you in the deep end. Paul wanted the church of the Thessalonians, and he wants all Christians, for that matter, to experience the best this life has to offer. To live our lives in the deep end with Christ. Maybe this morning you're saying, listen, this life sucks. I'm at church because I need God's help. I'm at church because if I wasn't at church, I don't know where I would be. Listen, you want to experience God? You want that change in your life? Listen, swim to the deep end. Swim in the deep end. Because sitting in a chair at church only, do so, only does so much. And if you only come to church to sit on a chair and to listen to a preaching on Sundays or worship, I'm telling you right now that you're so close to stepping out in the world. You are here. God has called you. God has saved you to press you. He expects you to swim to the deeper end. He expects you to move forward and not to be comfortable. And as I close, I want to go back to Mark 8.35. And this is Ala Marlowe, okay? This is not New King James. This is Marlowe's translation into the preaching. Here we go. If you insist on staying in the shallow end, you won't have much fun. Only those who throw away their floaties and swim to the deep end for me and for the good news will ever know what it really means to really live and have fun. And if you don't believe me, let me tell you about a few people from the Bible who spent much of their life kicking and splashing in the deep end. And you'll get an idea of what, of what real fun and what real life is all about. Noah floating around in his ark. Moses parting the Red Sea. Joshua making the walls of Jericho fall. Gideon defeating 135,000 men with only 300. Esther saving her nation from total annihilation. Peter walking on the water. Paul and Silas singing praise songs while chained in prison. David standing in the deep end slaying a 10-foot giant named Goliath. Listen. David, a young kid. Goliath, a giant full of power. You had all these people full of armory. Older men, men that had been in battles before David, looking at this Goliath. And what happens? David, a young kid with no armory and just a, just a rock, 
what did he, he defeated Goliath. And all I can do as I was reading that, that, that scripture again was seeing all these men who had battled before David, who, who wore this armor, who were confident in their skills. And the reason they didn't have, the reason that they did not battle Goliath is because they were people in the shallow end. And this, this young kid, David, listen, it don't matter about your age, but he was in the deep end with the Lord. And he was confident in the skills that God had given him. He was confident in who was in him. And he was able to destroy Goliath. God's challenge for us today, as I close. God's challenge for us today, for me, for you, for new life, is this. Don't settle. Don't settle for a dull, safe life in the shallow waters of Christianity. Don't be like the wild duck of Denmark and settle for a life of eating corn in the barnyard. Not when you were created to do great things for the Lord. Amen? Let's stand. you guys something I, this message that Marl shared is awesome this is asking us to go deeper in God but something that God was speaking to me and I think it's really something that's was weighing on my heart was that he's asking us to go deeper but I think some of us right now are struggling with with the concept of deep and I want to I wanna get out of the church thing right now for a second. You guys want to get out of the church thing for a second? Just get out of the religious for a second? I wanted to spend some time right now because I think we came with a lot today. We came with baggage. We came with, we, we, we're playing chicken in the pool right now. You know what I mean? Like we got a lot of things on our shoulders right now in, in, this, in this pool. And I think some of us haven't even gotten in the water yet. You know what I'm saying? I think some of us are, are still contemplating that water. Is it too cold? You know? I think it's, it's hard for us to receive this message about getting deeper. When some, some of us, it's funny because I, I wrote something down as, as Marlo was talking. And I think some of us have this lifesaver, this, this floaty, you know, with a little dragon in the front. <laughs> but we're floating in the deep end. And we're saying we're okay. And we're saying, oh, check me out. I'm in the deep. But we're with our floaties over the deep. And we're not letting that floaty go. Because the truth is we're still scared. Now, guys, please, I want you to hear me. Listen, open your heart out right now. You know, don't close yourself off to what I'm about to say. If there's something right now that's held you back from receiving this word of getting closer to God, because that's what the word is, come to me. The Bible says, the only thing that comes to mind, come to me, those who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's calling you deeper. But first you got to get in that water. And then you got to get take that floaty off. Something's holding us back today. There's something holding you back maybe today from getting in the water, from taking that lifesaver off, from touching the water and saying, wait, okay, let me just, let me just step in. Let me just get in the shallow for a second. Let me just allow God to speak to me. It's not until we get in that water and we just start 
heading towards the deeper, coming close to God, that we're going to experience the, that faith, the power of faith in our lives. I want to say something. Some of us are too scared right now to just truly trust in God because the deep seems impossible for us. You know what I want to do? I just want to take some time to pray right now. You know, I just want you guys to pray to God right now because there's something maybe throughout this whole message that would have just really hit you right now, but there's something that's getting in the way. There's something that, that you're thinking about as that message, as God is trying to tell you, hey guys, come to me, man. Get in that water. Come on, let, let, let me touch you. Let me show you how great I am. And you're like, man, this person's probably going to think I'm crazy right now. Dude, I, my family, dude, I'm just going to too much of my family right now. That relationship's just, just messing with me. You got this elephant on your shoulder. And you can't get into the deep with that elephant. You can't get into deep with that chicken. With that person on your shoulder trying to play chicken on you. You got to take that off. You got to get let go of that raft. You got to start walking in. I think some of us even came burdened and we don't even want to jump in the water because it seems, it seems, uh, we seem to be carrying this on our shoulders. Let us, let's get out of this church service and let's just come to God right now. Can we just spend some time worshiping and praying to God? If you're struggling through something right now, if, if you got a burden right now, if you got fear in you right now, something's keeping you from getting close to God, from getting in that water, just come up. You know what I'm saying? I, just come up and, and we'll pray with you and, we'll, and we'll, we're going to sing some songs right now. We're just going to come to the altar right now and just say, God, just take this off of me. Just, just allow me to let go of this lifesaver so I can just come closer to you. Let me not be too concerned with the temperature of the water. Let me not be too concerned with how deep it might be. Will it, will it be by my waist? Will it be by my, by my chest? Am I going to have to lift my head? Am I having to get under the water? Lord Jesus, let us just come to you right now and, and surrender, Jesus. If we're contemplating right now whether we should get into that water, I'm telling you, just come to the altar. Just, just pray. Just, just bow before God. And we'll pray with you. The church will pray with you. We'll lay hands on you. If, if, there's, if there's healing that you're needing, if there's a relationship that's broken in your life right now, anything that's keeping you right now from getting closer to God, just come to the altar. As we sing this song, I just want us to come together as a body and pray. Amen. You guys with me right now? Amen, Lord.